Tuesday, June 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, the portfolio manager at Motley Fool Funds, Bill Mann. Thanks for being here, man. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. You're Ooh. rocking the hibiscus half marathon shirt. I know. Shirt. I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to be on the TV today. Th- that's all right. That's <laughs> we, all right. It was a couple weeks ago in, in Honolulu. It was my Christmas present to Judy, and, and I actually ran and finished it on a broken leg, which is... <laughs> Which which sounds pretty metal, right? I mean, that that, that would go onto the list of really yeah. cool. Except it was more stupid than that. But I'm guessing the Hawaii part was nice. But there's oh, something hey. kind of messed up about, honey. Here's my Christmas gift to you. You need to train for a 13 mile race. That's right. Uh, we, we roll strong in the main household. <laughs> we're gonna dip into the full mailbag uh, and take questions off of Twitter. But let's start with some earnings. And I say earnings in air <laughs> some, quotes. Some results. Some results, exactly. <laughs> and that is Radio Shack's first quarter results. <sighs> they lost more money than expected. I don't even know how that's possible at this point. Right. They lost the, half of their market cap. The, the, in you know. the shares are trading Lower. for somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.35 a share. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was talking with Jason Moser beforehand, and I said, this this reminds me of a buddy I had in college who's a great guy, and um, he when he would drink a lot, he would get to a point where anyone else in our circle of friends, you would say, well, he's going to pass out or he's going to go to bed or that kind of thing. And it didn't matter. He just he, didn't. It didn't. He somehow <laughs> remained standing and still drinking yeah. at two in the morning. And you're like, how is this guy still standing? And, I, and that's the thing. I look at Radio Shack and I think, how is this company still standing? Well, they've got a huge. Uh, so they, they actually have uh, they've, they've tried, I guess, again to change their marketing and their sales strategy. The problem with with the problem with Radio Shack is that their business is predicated forever on you needing that little wire with that little connector that nobody else has. And Radio Shack always had it. So much stuff has gone wireless now that that's, you know, that that business has gone away. So then they went to mobile phones and mobile phone accessories. That's kind of a cruddy business, and that you know, and 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 their sales have dropped off there because they're competing with, really, the Verizon stores themselves, and you know, so that's a that's an incredibly uh, competitive experience. So they have some new marketing ideas, but they're kind of running out of time. I mean, I I mean, I really I I have felt with Radio Shack that they would get it, they would figure something out so that it would end up being a nice little business, but. It's getting littler and a lot less nice because they are continuing to lose money. I think it's been very um, poor timing for them. The fact that uh, that that mobile phone sales, you know, have dropped off so much. Nobody really has a new product right now. So down fourteen percent in 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 same store sales. That's a bad recipe. You mentioned they're running out of time. They're running out of money, and there's talk that. They're going to go out to creditors and, yeah. and look to borrow money. Who is going to lend them money? And if someone deigns to lend them money, aren't they going to be at terms that would be almost prohibitive? Yeah, they've got a they've they've got a revolving credit facility now, which which they had tapped into for I believe it was thirty five million dollars. The number's not right in front of me over the last you know over, over the last period. So they have an existing credit facility in place, and they actually are somehow credit worthy. So. 
That's, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm, still I'm not trying to be thing. cruel, but no, that just no, no, that no. just blows my mind yeah. that a business this troubled yeah. would still be considered. Oh yeah, we'll lend you money. Yeah. I, how how I, do you think? I, I mean, I'm asking a, a somewhat unfair question, but awesome. uh, <laughs> get out your crystal ball and let's go 12 months into the future. What is the likeliest outcome? A year from now, are they beginning to go through bankruptcy? Does someone come in and say, we see some value here and we will buy them out for the real estate? But I don't even think they own all that yeah, much they, real estate. They don't I, own that where, much. Where do you think we are a year from now? I think now? they're still muddling through. I think that they actually have a pretty neat idea in that they in that Radio Shack has come up with this plan where they are going to provide a platform for startup hardware companies to sell their goods, really, you know, to 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 go out, which is a fairly inefficient uh, point part of the tech market. I mean, we're really good at rolling out apps. We're really good at rolling out software. Hardware is a little bit harder, and so they are almost going back to the hobbyist company, I you know, uh, concept, which it could work. I mean, it really could. All they need is. All they need is really one thing that is exclusively available at Radio Shack. I mean, it, it. So, I mean, if you were to have told me a few years ago that a uh, you know that that taxi cabs would be displaced by by software, I mean, it's it, it's it, it's really it's possible. I, I suspect that they're going to continue to be muddling through because they do have access to credit. And best of luck to them, by the way. I have no yeah. I have no ill feelings towards Radio Shack at all. I I I, I hope that they make it. You can follow us on Twitter at MarketFoolery is the Twitter handle for this podcast. Uh, it's a, a great Twitter feed. <laughs> got a question from Liam McCusker, uh, and you wonderfully teed this up. Uh, Liam asks, is Uber really worth $17 billion? Uber, if uh, you're not familiar, is the limousine and taxi-fetching app company, yes. and it really is an app company, and the latest valuation is somewhere in the neighborhood of $17, 18000000000 billion. Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, from CNBC uh, wrote in the New York Times that, in fact, yes, this, this mm-hmm. not only might Uber be worth $18 billion, it might be undervalued at $18 billion. <laughs> you are, first and foremost, someone who identifies himself as a value investor. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah, I would say that Uber, to tap my German, is worth unter $18 billion. <laughs> it's it's revenues, and we don't know a lot of things because the disclosure is a private company at this point. So we don't have all of the information on, on what, their, what their financial structure looks like. But they made about $200 million in revenues last year, for, which for a new company is, is, is it's a highly successful company. But two hundred million dollars in revenues and eighteen billion in market cap don't really compute for me. I mean, that's a ninety times sales number. Now Uber is highly profitable. They are asset light. All they you know, all they do right. is they don't you know, they don't own any of these vehicles. No, they don't own they don't own anything. But here's what I know about you know, here's what I know about every market they're they're in. There are a lot of taxi cabs. Right, and it is an entrenched market, and those taxi cabs have an installed base. They and and can shift, right? So, I'm not saying that Uber cannot do this. I'm saying that if you value a company at 90 times sales, 
and that's not even earnings, that's sales. You are expecting miracles. You know, do they got a miracle in them? Yeah, they might. They 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 really might. That's not how I tend to bet. I mean, now that now, so if you were to talk to the CEO of Uber, he'd say, "Listen, we are not a cab company. We are a logistics platform company. There are a lot of other things we can do." And I think that I, I think that all of that's pretty exciting. So, it's not the worst bet I have ever heard. Radio Shack actually might be a worse bet than Uber, <laughs> but am I excited about you know being participating in an Uber IPO at eighteen billion dollars? Absolutely not. So is that, I mean, if we're to follow the logic of the CEO, Mm -hmm. do you think that is the way people should think about this, regardless of whether or not they're looking at Uber and thinking, oh, whether it's, oh, I want to get in on this IPO because I have used Uber and I love the service, or "Eh, I want to sit back and wait and see, is the way to think about Uber as a that kind of platform company and not, for example, as whether it's a cab company or any transportation company for that matter. I think that you have to treat it as a taxi company at this point, as, as, a, as a car service platform, a, t- a taxi company. Maybe that's the easiest way because they have not – they have proven that they can compete in that market. Okay, so then maybe everything else you would view as a call option. Maybe – They've got these great ideas. Well, great. I've got lots of great ideas, too. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting paid for them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and the world is poorer for it, I would say. But uh, so for, 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 for Uber, and there's one thing that I would say about IPOs in general, because we get questions about IPOs a lot. You, you, you do as well. Companies that are private have no idea the pressures that they're going to face when they are public. They can, they can conceive of them. But when you go from being a company that can make these kind, you know, make, to make bets to one where you have people who are expecting you to do things on a quarter by quarter basis, it takes a very strong CEO to push back on that. And and those are the types of CEOs that we look for. But we have no evidence whatsoever what kind of CEO this guy is. I think it's a little bit when you put it that way. I think it's a little bit like being a parent. Yeah. Like you know, I was an uncle. You know, I had nieces and nephews before I became a father. You saw and it's all like all the stuff they were doing like, wrong. I, I, yeah, and you know, you, yeah. maybe you read a book or something like that, and you're like, I, I know what this is like. And yes, maybe on paper you know what it's right. like. You actually did me the best favor ever right before our first child was born when you said, "Let me tell you something: the first two weeks are awful." <laughs> And you know because you don't you 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 don't know because no one tells you that nobody tells you that like oh it's wonderful um, <laughs> it's a miracle it's awful <laughs> the first two weeks I mean it's a it is a miracle thing. and then it's awful it's the greatest thing ever but back to IPOs you don't you don't you you don't really know which is why in, in you know in in full funds we don't participate in IPOs we just believe that we just believe that it is an easier thing. To figure out, you know, to allow companies to figure out how they operate on, you know, as public corporations using other people's money. Last question about Uber, and then we'll move on. Why do you think it is getting this type of valuation? I'm wondering if it is just, hey, look, look at what the stock market is doing. Look at the environment we're in. Look at the IPOs over the last year including, as I like to bring up now and then, Noodles and Company. <laughs> and yeah. we're going to give Uber the benefit of the doubt because we've given pretty much else, pretty pretty much everyone else the benefit of the doubt. I think, that's, I, I think all of those things are true. And I think that the thing that, that, that 
I as uh, as a citizen or as a as a market participant, the thing that bothers me about all of that is that ultimately IPOs that are too positive or are thought of where they're given the benefit of the doubt for everything that's awesome and everything that is potentially a risk is discounted. It's an inefficient use of capital. I mean, as you know, as as someone who is a market participant, any type of inefficient use of capital for me and for anyone else, except for perhaps the insiders who are getting paid, is bad. So, I, I mean, I, I I I truly believe at this point, in you know, in June of two thousand and fourteen, that people are being really excited about the possibilities, and they are not really focusing on the risks. You can email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email question from Raul Sind. Hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. Apologies if I'm not. Uh, my question is about the National Oil Well Varco spinoff. Could you guys please talk about how one should handle the new investment I am now part of, uh, National Oil Well Varco, a company we've talked about in the past, yep. uh, spun off, I believe they spun off their distribution business. Their transmission and distribution business. And the in some ways, the surprising part, and and I think uh, this may be uh, baked into Raul's question, the surprising part is that Pete Miller, the longtime CEO of National Oil Well Varco, one of the best CEOs in the business, yes, full stop, uh, yeah, full and stop. Yeah. and uh, a guy we had come speak at one of our events earlier this year, yeah. uh, Pete Miller said, "Yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm yeah. going with the spinoff," and that got a lot of uh, uh, attention, as well it should. Um, yeah. But to Raul's question. Here's someone who's a shareholder, and now he's the shareholder of this spinoff business. How should he think about that? And and we can broaden it beyond that. Yeah. Let me tell you the one thing that I would not do is I would not worry about the stock price over the short term following spinoffs. Because what happens is National Oil Varco, a very large percentage of their shareholders are institutional. And institutional shareholders have certain mandates. And a lot of them... When you have a spinoff, it is sometimes too small. It's outside of their mandate in in various ways. And so they're forced to sell. So the one thing that you absolutely should not do is panic if the stock drops. And, you know, we'll see over the next, you know, month, two months, you know, uh, a lot of them have enough time that they're allowed to get out of the position. But it really does change. You know, it changes in some ways that we can't see as individual investors or as other institutional investors, the shareholder class of each individual, you know, of, of each of each half. I think the fact that Miller went with the spinoff, I think, is 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 very enlightening. And he's got a big he's got a big ownership stake. And I always believe that, especially with the really effective CEOs, that you you do what they do. You follow you follow what 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 they do. And the only reason he would be going to the spinoff to to now is that he sees something very promising about what's going to happen when they are you know because essentially what they're what they're saying they can do is you know, simplify simplify the capital structure and they're going to be able to invest based on you know based on the benefit you know cost and benefit of that individual now independent company. You raise a good point about Miller, and in this case, it, it yeah if. You're doing your homework on a company like National Oil Well Varco, and you buy the stock, and yeah. part of your thesis is a bet on the management, and yeah. in particular Pete Miller. Well, then that almost makes the decision for you. That being said, 
it, it is a little bit of a tricky situation. Maybe not tricky, but it's it's a little bit more homework for investors. If all of a sudden you say, "Well, wait a minute, I, I bought this stock, I researched the business, now I own two stocks, and one of them is a business." Uh, you know, th- this guy's thesis for buying National Oil Well Varco may have had absolutely nothing, nothing to, to do. do with the distribution and transmission. And business. I think that's important. And I know it's always a little bit of a squirrely answer, but you do kind of have to know yourself, right? There was there was a set of reasons that you individually bought bought a company, and it may be that you were excited about the oil field services, which is also you know National Oil Well Varco is being reorganized. I think in a very interesting way. So I don't want to focus on the you know on the transmission and distribution business. But if the transmission and distribution business is something that you look at and you say, I don't have as good of a handle on this, there's no reason in the world why you should hold something that you don't understand. So that's, I mean, I'm sorry, Raul, I don't mean to tell you, you know, know yourself, but you kind of have to do. I mean, you, you really have to understand why it is that you bought it in the first place. And it could be that you recognize the fact that there was something that could be unlocked and that's always the case with with companies that have complex capital structures. Have you ever had the situation in all your years as, as an investor where all of a sudden there was a spinoff and you're staring at a at a brand new company and you think I, I don't want that? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It happens. It happens quite a bit, and a lot of times, a lot of times it happens where you've got a company that's got an asset light part of the business. Yeah, it's kind of happening in this case, and you've got one that's asset heavy. And you look at the asset heavy part and you say, it's almost the same as, you know, as an IPO, right? What are they going to do now? Right. So, I mean, that's, it, 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 it happens quite a bit. And in our world, owning two companies is twice as hard as owning one, no matter what. So we actually do choose, but we're very patient about it. Uh, we'll wrap up with your trip to Hawaii. One tip for anyone who has not been to the fabulous 50th state. <laughs> the fabulous 50th state. There is a dish that is of Japanese origin, but it's in you know, it's it's a Hawaiian dish called poke, which is which is sushi quality tuna that's done in a in a in a, in a um, like a soy sauce and fabulous. And there is a place in Honolulu called Yamas that makes Yamas Yamas, which means mountain with an apostrophe s. Um, un unreal. So, when you go to Hawaii, starve yourself for a week beforehand and just <laughs> and just eat. By the way, by the way, poi not not poi. It's one of those Ooh, like yeah. I remember the first time I went to Hawaii, I was like, oh, I got to try poi, and then yeah. you try it, and you're like, ah, the first time I had, it, I was like, this is this is spoiled. No, like, no, that's actually how. No, nope, that's how it's supposed to taste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I I gave it another shot. It was uh, it was it was it was better, but. Poi is not the reason to get Yeah, it. that's not that's not the one you want to be excited about. All right, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.